Nothing like the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Jesus. Glory to God. If you would open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Acts chapter 2. And our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. book of Acts chapter 2 and we will begin reading in verse 40. Amen. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to leave the sanctuary. Keep me in here. I want to... I want to be in here with the grown folk. I can't understand a word they're saying, but I want to be with them. Amen, amen. Glory to God. The book of Acts chapter 2, verse 40, when you got it, say so. And it says, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Lord, thank you for your word that is truth, that is powerful, and that is still relevant for our days today. We thank you, Lord God, because we know that you care about your church more than we ever could. And we honor you today, Lord God, that we are part of that church. We are part of that body of believers, Lord God, that call you God, that call you Savior. And so, Lord, this morning, I just ask you that in these next few moments that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. I pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word and the hearing of it. And I ask you, Lord God, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. I pray that you would build us up and above all things that the name of Jesus would be lifted high. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. You do not have an outline, raise your hand, please, and just hold it up. Just keep it up there, and the ushers will get them to you. So I want to make sure that everyone has, has an outline. As I remind you weekly, it's very good for you to be able to follow along with me in the, in the beginning of the sermon. It's also good for you to take notes. There are some questions in this outline, like what were the points, the main points of the sermon, so you can write those down. They put them up here, and you can also write them down. And then also there's a, there's a really important question in there. And as, you, as, you're, as you're getting your outline, I want you to consider this question because I think that this is probably um, one of the most important questions on that outline. Outline, and it is this, how is it that you feel the Lord has spoken to you? And the reason why that's so important is because the next question leads you to a, another significant thing, and it is how are you going to apply that? How are you going to respond to God? Because really being a disciple of Jesus is about what? It's about hearing from Jesus and responding to Jesus. Amen? It is about us hearing what God's word is saying to us and us responding to him and obeying what he communicates. And so those outlines are helpful for that. And as I've communicated before as well, and I continue to remind you that we are all called to make disciples. And so if we are going to make disciples, then, you know, we need tools to do that. And I think one of the ways that you can utilize these outlines to help you best is for you to use the notes and the things that you are learning to be able to help somebody else grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so what you can do is you can facilitate for them what you have been hearing on Sunday and it'll do two, it'll, it will do two things. It will help solidify it in your heart, and you will help someone else grow in grace. Amen? Amen. All right, so we are continuing in our series, um, Core 4, our Core 4 series, and we have finished the first four parts there. If you look at the first paragraph here, thus far we've covered the loving God portion of our mission as disciples in a gospel-centered church. God's love for us is the foundation of our love for him and should be the motivation of our hearts in everything we do. Say everything. 
And so we talked about the love of God, right? We dealt with the love of God. Remember, we say every week we're committed to loving God. We're committed to growing together. We're committed to reaching others, and we are committed to serving. And so we've dealt with the first part, loving God, and so we talked about who God is. We talked about the motivation of our love, and then last week we dealt with the measure of our love. And so this week we're going to continue on in this series, and we're going to talk about growing together in love. For the next four weeks, that's what we're going to deal with, growing together in love. And so today, um, we're looking, last week we dealt with Jesus being questioned. And in your second paragraph here, Jesus, um, second half of his answer, they came to Jesus and they said, what commandment is the most important? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, right? And then he said, and the second is like it. They didn't ask him for the second, but he gave them the second and he said what? To love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus gives the second part of the answer, and, he, and what he does in another gospel, in the gospel that I read, read last week, I believe it was Mark, in, in another gospel, in Matthew, I believe, and in Luke, what Jesus says there is he says, upon these two hang all of the law and the prophets. In other words, you can sum up all of God's commands in two things. Number one is to love God. Number two is to love people. That's it. That's what God expects. All of these laws that we have here are about loving him and about loving other people. And so <clears throat> today... We're going to deal with that. Loving your neighbor, now look at your outline here. Loving your neighbor can and should be lived out in three ways. Sharing life with, with our brothers in Christ, reaching out to our lost neighbors, and serving in and with the body of Christ. Now let me, let me unpack that for a moment. There's three things that I just said here, right? Because we talk about we're committed to loving God, growing together, reaching others, and serving, right? And so what I just said here, that loving God should be measured in three ways, right? And one way is what? In sharing life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's what we're talking about today, growing together in love. But our love for God and our love for others doesn't end there. The next step is that we should love others who are lost. Those who don't know Jesus, we should desire to bring them to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is because we have a realization that anyone who dies without Jesus goes to hell. Anyone who dies without the relationship with God, they go to hell. Anyone who dies in their sin, they listen, I don't care what prayer they prayed. I don't care how many church services they attended. I don't care how religious they may have seemed. I don't care how many good deeds they may have done. Anyone who dies in their sin, the Bible talks about that, sin separates us from God. And guess what? They're going to spend an eternity in hell. So that would mean that I should be concerned about those who don't know Jesus. That's part of my love for my fellow man. And then the third way that I should measure and demonstrate my my love for others is through serving. And so really, when you look at our commitment that we say every week, it's really two things. We're talking about how we love God, and then we're talking about how we love others. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about us growing together. And so today, we will cover the foundation for community. And there's a book that, I, that, that we've read in this church. Some of you have read it. Some of you have not. If you have not read it, I highly encourage you to read it so you can understand what our Connect Life groups are really about. Connect Life Groups are not just a place that we kind of get together and hang out. It's supposed to be a place where we come to know each other deeper and that we grow together in a gospel-centered community. And so the book is called Community, and it is by Brad House. And so... In this particular book, I have a few quotes from this book that I'm going to share today. And so before we, ask, before we ask what is community, we need to know why we need community. That's important, right? Not just to know what it is, but to know why we need it. And I like this quote here, and there's a video that we're going to play here after I read this quote. But lifeless community begins when we don't have a clear understanding of why we are in community in the first place. Now, let, let, let me share it. Let, let me explain that. What happens to us is that some of us in here, if we're honest, some of us, we do not see the need to be in community, right? I'm not going to ask you to say amen to that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's what you believe. But the reality is there are some of us that believe that I'm cool just coming to church on a Sunday, right? Like that's all I need to be a Christian. And, 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 and let, let me say this. I'm not saying that going to community or, you know, going to connect life groups make you more of a Christian or anything like that. But what I will tell you this, and I say this often, is that you will never grow into the Christian God has called you to be by yourself. Amen. Because, you know, those sinners, because you're not a sinner. But those sinners, right, those people around you, they bring out some stuff. You didn't even know it was there because you're not a sinner, right? You're amazing. But when you get around those people, they, 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 sometimes they rub you the wrong way. That happens. But it's not just for that component, but it is also because when you get around other brothers and sisters in Christ, they can pray for you. Isn't it good to have someone praying for you? They can hold you accountable. I know nobody wants to be accountable. Hello, somebody. 
Like nobody wants, I'm just being honest, and I say nobody, and I include myself in that. Nobody wants to be accountable. Nobody wants to, you know, let people into my business. Hello. You know, a lot of you grew up in houses, you know, and, and um, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house. All right, no matter what, when we walked out of this house, nobody knew what was going on. We didn't want anyone to tell. Nobody needs to know our business, right? And so that's such, that, that's such an unbiblical mindset. But nonetheless, you know, you have people that can hold you accountable. You have people who can encourage you. How many of y'all need to be encouraged sometimes? Just saying. Like sometimes you're going through stuff and you need to be encouraged. I know sometimes I'm going through things and I need to be encouraged. And, you know, so community, listen, it's not just for people to come together and gather around leaders. It's for all of us to grow in the ways that God wants us to. And so I'll repeat the quote again and then we'll check out the video. Lifeless community. Community that has no life, right? Lifeless community. Community that's just going through the motion begins when we don't have a clear understanding of why we are in community in the first place. Hi, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. You know, one of the best ways to get involved in your church is to join a community group or a small group or a life group. Or a cluster group or division guild or... or yeah, no one calls it those things. So if you're already in a group or thinking about joining a group, I've got great news. We have some killer community tips that I think you're really going to like. Yeah, so let's put on some music. We'll start dancing around. We'll get real excited and pump this no, thing no, no, up. No, no, no. Let's go ahead and roll with the clips. Let's not do that. Look, it's not all about the numbers, but we'd say the bigger the group, the better. My group has about 35 people in it, and I haven't been able to share for about the last six months, but I know one day soon I'm gonna get to chime in again. Well, my group actually has 120 people in it, and a guy last week shared his story, and it was great. Maybe someday I'll get to meet him. In the context of community. Community. Right. The Bible is good, but using popular sayings is the bomb. I think I gave some pretty good wisdom the other day when I told Trish that cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, and that's pretty powerful when you consider God helps those who help themselves. If someone in your group is holding you accountable for something and you feel like they're a little too critical, do not pass go, walk out. Last week, Tom got out of our group because Janine told him he left his car lights on which is a bit critical. Yeah, it sounds like Tom saved himself from a world of hurt. When it's your turn to share, careful with going too deep. Sometimes it's best to stay in the shallow end of the pool. When you're swimming in the deep end, you gotta be careful, because when you go deep, the pressure can really kill your ears, and you gotta get a nose plug, and you gotta take a deep breath before you go diving deep down in there. Okay, it, it, it sounds like you're only talking about swimming at this point. Yeah, water scares the bejeebies out of me. Every group has that person or couple that tend to dominate the conversation. So find out who they are and quickly make them the official group leaders. Chaz and Karen dominate our group and we get to hear about their lives every week. <laughs> yeah, but are you still able to speak wisdom into their life? <laughs> One thing at a time. <laughs> they don't even let us speak, much less about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope they're not watching this video. <laughs> we can't emphasize this enough. Go ahead and plan now that you're not going to be attending every group time. You know, going to group every single week screams desperation. I completely agree. We have a couple in our group, the Dawsons, who we haven't seen for two and a half years. That screams confidence. That's community at its best. Hey, thanks for watching Killer Community Tips. Now go and grow as a group. Yeah, maybe we could like send them out with like some music. We could jump around on some pogo hey, sticks. Hey, Chachi, no, That'd let's just end the... That's amazing, right? That's exactly what community is not, amen? And so ultimately, 
We're going to be talking about community. We're going to be dealing with the wife community. And here is the big idea that I want you to get. And, and this is the deepest reason, the, the big reason for community. And it is this. It is that every relationship we are in is to bear the image of our Trinitarian God. I say that again. Every relationship we are in is to bear the image of our Trinitarian God. And so we spent a couple of weeks, right, when we were dealing with who God, or we spent one, one week, a, a long time in the sermon, talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason for that. It's because when, when God reveals himself, he reveals himself as three, as three persons, one God, right? And so we call that the Godhead. But what we realize is that there is community that is there within the Godhead, this perfect community. And I'll reiterate this a few more times. But we are image bearers, okay, image bearers. In other words, we are the ones who bear the image of God. When the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God created man in his image and in his likeness, right? What he was saying is man was supposed to do what? Man was supposed to be like God in all areas. And so what God did do is this. When he created Adam, you'll remember the story, he creates Adam. Adam, and up to this point, every single thing that God created, he said it was what? Good. Everything. He said because God is good, so everything he creates is going to be good. But then when he creates man, he says something. He says it is not good that man should be alone. And what does he do? He pulls out of his rib this woman named Eve. And then, you know, you know the story. You know, um, Adam goes into this deep sleep. God creates this woman, brings her to him. And then all of a sudden, Adam is so overwhelmed. You know, many scholars believe that the first poetry occurred in a song form when Adam saw his wife. You know, this is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, right? And then God communicates, you know, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. Two shall become one. But what did God tell them? Did he tell them, hey, I created your partner, now you all just hang out, and that's it. Is that all he said? Nope. Or did he say what? Be fruitful, right? Multiply, right? He, say, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, all of us that are in this place are family because of what? Not just because of the blood of Jesus, that brings us together for sure, but because of creation, because Adam and Eve, whether we believe this or not or understand this or not, they are really our father and mother. And so all of us, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of, you know, our particular background, where we were raised or where we were brought up, what happens is we are family. That's a beautiful thing. And God calls us to be in relationship one with the other. He calls us to be in community. He calls us to be in this. And it is because of what? Because he is a Trinitarian God. And so all of our relationships, our marriages, our relationships with our children, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationships with our family should bear the marks of the Trinitarian God. Not every relationship is going to be exactly the same, but there should be that commitment, that devotion that we see to the Trinity one to the other in our relationships as well. And so the first point I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, um, who we are as a people began in eternity with the Father's eternal purpose. Who we are as a people began in eternity with the Father's eternal purpose. Now I'm going to read another quote here. Like I told you, I have a few quotes from this book. Because community takes sacrifice and intentionality, our view of community must be bigger than, listen to this, a way to belong. So hear what I'm saying. Being part of a connect life group is not just a way for you to belong. It is not just about making the church feel smaller. As a church gets bigger, we have this saying, you know, when um, pastors and leaders who have any kind of common sense, they know that as a church grows, the church has to get smaller as well. In other words, you need to make sure that people are able to connect, that they are able to get into relationship or else what will happen is you will have a large church with a lot of people who are not really disciples of Jesus. They're just doing their own thing because nobody cares about them. Nobody knows their name. Nobody's even in Involved in their lives. And a lot of people love that. I have no issue with large churches. I pray that, you know, one day God grants us the grace to be a large church for his glory, to make greater impact with the gospel and all that good stuff. But my hope is that as we continue to grow bigger, that we will continue to grow smaller. But here's what I want you to know. That is not the point of community. That is not the, the whole reason for us to be in connect, connect life groups. Or how about this one? Or closing the back door of the church. See, a lot of times people come in, they walk in, they walk out of church, and you have this thing called, you know, this revolving door, you know, where you see people coming in and going out, coming in and going out. People aren't staying connected, and so all of a sudden you're like, well, how are we going to fix this problem? 
Well, you know, the way we fix it is by small groups. We get everybody into a small group. And the reality is that we have to have a bigger picture of, of why we're supposed to be in community. And what I want you to get is what this point is, is that who we are as a people began in eternity with the Father's eternal purpose. I didn't just come up one day and say, hey, you know what? I think we should do Connect Life Groups. Now, we came up with the name and a leaders meeting and all that good stuff. But I remember first starting this church, and I realized something. And here's, here's, here's what I want you to get. In your body, there are things called cells, right? Without those cells, you do what? You die. If you don't have those cells doing what they're supposed to do, then you die. And what, and what we have to realize is that in the way that God created our physical body, and, and the only reason I can say this is because many times we are referred to as what? The body of Christ. And so when we get together, we are doing what? We are coming together sim similarly as the cells in the body, and we are growing together, and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in order to see what? The growth of all, all of us in what? Into the maturity, into the knowledge of who Jesus is. That's the goal, right, of being a Christian, that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. It isn't just to come to church and hang out, no, but it's for us to grow. So that's what we want to see happening. And so when we look at, and, and, and when we're looking at the book of Acts as we did, and we're going to close the sermon looking at it further but when we read this beautiful picture in Acts chapter 2 verse 40 to 47 let me ask you a question just when you read that isn't that a beautiful picture how many of y'all would say yes to that isn't that what you want to see in the church like you know people getting saved people receiving the word people being baptized people who are committed to fellowship people who are committed to prayer people who are committed to the scriptures people who are committed to, to to sharing life together the power of God manifesting in miracles the last line there I love so much is that God added to the church daily those who are being saved it wasn't a program it wasn't something that they were doing to be slick it wasn't that people were just joining the building or people were filling a place up, but God was literally adding to his church. I don't know about you, but that excites me to see God working in that way. And so when I look at that picture, I'm inclined to ask the question, God, how do we become that? And when, I, when, when we ask that question, typically there are many answers that arise, good answers, and sometimes it's not necessarily the right answer, though, just because the good answer doesn't make it the right answer. Just because it seems like, well, you know, if I look back at the book of Acts, I go back here and I look, you know, I look, look to chapter 1. And I see Jesus with his disciples as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And what does Jesus tell his disciples? Tells them, hey, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power, so you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to, and to Judea and to all the parts of the earth. This is what Jesus said, right? That's what he communicated. And so I guess that that's the reason why they had that. Well, if I fast forward a little bit, I find that they were praying together, you know, for these 10 days and they were seeking God. And so does it mean that we need to pray for 10 days, three times a day, and that's going to make us see what we see in the book of Acts? Is that the answer to the question? Is it that we really need to be devoted to prayer? Or then you see Peter preach this message with boldness, right? You know, he, he preaches this gospel-centered message and he communicates people are convicted of their sin and they come forward and, you know, they're like, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And so is, are those the answers to the question that we're asking? And what I want to say to you is that it's not, those are not the answers. Those are all things that happen, but they are connected to something greater and something bigger, and that is the eternal plan of God. All of those things are connected to something greater. It's not just isolated things that we can do because if we do this, we'll get this. If we do that, we'll get that. No, no, no. It's about us looking at the bigger plan of what God is trying to do. And so here's what I want you to get, is the enemy desires us to remain disconnected because of what? From, from each other in isolation, separated one from another, not only in our churches, but in our marriages, our families, our neighborhoods, etc. And God intended for us from the beginning to enjoy unhindered fellowship with him and one another. One of the things that, I, that, that, is, that is sad in our day, and I say this is sad because, and, and I wish that I could tell you that I've never seen it in my own home, but I have seen it in my own home. And there are moments in our house where I'm on my phone, my daughter's on her phone, my wife is on her phone, my son is on my iPad, and we're all within like five feet of each other. Now listen, it's just a reality of some things that happen. When I see that happening, I'm like, yo, everybody needs to put their phone down. Josiah's the only one who keeps his iPad. But ultimately, the point is that I, I believe this, and I've said this many times, you know, technology is a good thing sometimes. But what can happen is we can become so, we can be in the same house. We can be in the same. One of the things my wife and I, and the only reason why we even got a, got a television in our room when, after we got married was because everybody watches TV in my room. 
Like, we're all in there together, right? But we didn't want to have TVs. We're not going to have TVs. And Alexis is not, she, she knows this, so I'm not telling her something she doesn't know. She's never going to have a TV in her room. Hello, somebody. Because if we're going to watch TV, we're not going to be doing it on our own. We're going to do it together, right? We're going to, we're going to try to redeem that time, right? And obviously try to watch something holy. Amen, somebody. Glory to God. But here's the thing. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to isolate us. He wants, listen, he wants your marriage. He wants you to be cool doing your own thing and him or her doing their own thing. Are you here? He wants you to be okay living two different lives, being roommates that have sex sometimes. Yeah, I said it. He's okay with that. But God is not. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants your kids to be so busy doing other things that there's never time for family. The enemy wants you to come to church and feel good like you check some list and everything is okay, but there's no connection to the body of Christ. That's what the enemy wants. But God says, that is not my intention from eternity past because I am a Trinitarian God who is in relationship in and of myself. I didn't create you because I needed you, but I created you to need one another. I created you with, with, with the need that is there. Listen, notice what I said. I didn't say a want. I didn't say, I didn't say a desire. I said a need. There's a difference because there's some people they don't want. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, it talks about he who isolates himself, right, rages against all wise counsel. He who isolates himself, the person who separates himself. Look, he, he doesn't want to hear what anyone has to say. He doesn't want to know what anyone has to say to his life or her life. It's a he in that particular context. But it's not just men that isolate themselves. There's plenty of people that isolate themselves. And, and what I'm saying is God created within us a need one for another. He said it is not good that man should be alone. And when he created man and woman together, he told them to be fruitful and multiply so we could have a family and we could be together one with another and we could be in relationship. See, God is relational. Father, Son, and Spirit dwell together in perfect community. I said this before. They live in a community that is loving, that is submissive, that is joyful, that is purposeful, and is powerful. And as his image bearers, we must commit to reflecting him. As his image bearers. We must commit to reflecting him. Now turn with me. And actually, we're going to look at the scripture here. John chapter 17 verse 20 through 26 and when we look at that when we look at that portion of scripture we came out of, out of the gospel of John and so many of you are familiar with this but I want to read I want to read this again and look at what Jesus prays when he prays here in John chapter 17 and verse 20 he says I do not pray for the, for these alone and so Jesus has prayed for himself he has prayed for his apostles or the disciples that are there with him and now he is praying for us and he says I do not pray for these alone speaking of his disciples but also for those who will believe in me through their word and look at this, the next thing that he says, the first thing that he prays for, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I want you to look at that prayer of Jesus. That's pretty powerful. The first thing that he does when he prays for our unity is he's praying for what? He's praying that God is going to do, that God is going to bring us into a place of unity. And that point there, I didn't say it, but Jesus prayed for a deep unity among believers. That's the second point, the second main point there. Jesus prayed for unity among believers. The first thing that he does as he prays, he says, God, make them one. And, 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 and you know what Jesus does? He doesn't just say, make them one and let them figure out what I mean by that. He doesn't say that. He says, make them one as you are in me and I am in you. Now, do you think that that's intimate? That's not like we're just sitting next to each other. That's like we all up in each other's business. I know, I can't. I get a couple giggles and no amens, right? Because they're like, uh-huh. This is the, the community that God was talking about. What we see in the book of Acts is we see what? We see these people. Notice what it said there in the book of Acts. And we're going to go back there. But notice what it says there. It says that people were selling stuff and giving to each other as they had need. Can I tell you something? There are so many times that, that, that people have needs that are sitting right next to you and you are clueless to that. You know what that tells me? I'm going to tell you this, and this is going to hurt some feelings. That tells me that we're not living according to what God wanted for us to live when he asked for us to be one. It shows me that we are not concerned about one. And I want you to hear what I said. I said we. I didn't say me. Because here's the thing. that had, This is the bad idea. See, because I'm the guy standing up here. Hello. 
right? I'm the guy up here. So all of a sudden, everything falls on the pastor. And let me tell you something. I take responsibility for leading and I take responsibility for doing everything that, that God has called me to do. But what I do know is that it is not my job to know everybody's stuff because I cannot. Hello? I cannot be in everybody's life no matter what. I mean, there's, there's only so much of me to go around. Amen. I'm just saying. And I'm trying to lose some of that me. Amen. Glory to God. So make less of me. But, but here's, 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 here is the reality. The reality is we are supposed to care for one another. Notice what it says here. It says the people. It didn't say the leaders. It said the people were doing something. Because, and, the, and, and the reason they were doing that is because as they were sitting next to one another, they were intimately in relationship and they understood the needs that they had between one another. And so you know what they began to do? They began to communicate and say, hey, you know what? I have this over here and you need this and so I'm going to help you. This is not socialism. Hello, somebody. No one forced them to do this. The apostle didn't come out and say, okay, everybody, you got to sell your stuff. That isn't what happened. The Holy Spirit communicated something to their hearts. And because of the gospel, because they had been redeemed, their hearts were moved with compassion one toward another. They had this thing called konania, which is fellowship, partnership. When it says that they had fellowship, they had all things in common. They had this intimate connection one with another. They shared life together. They cared about what we were going through. When Jesus prays here in John chapter 17, he talks about a unity that is deeper than what we know. When Jesus prays, he prays the first thing. He prays for our unity. And then the next thing he does is the request turns evangelistically, right? And so let's keep reading here because he says this. He says that there'll be one that the world, in verse 21, he says at the end there, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so can I tell you something? One of the greatest witnesses to the gospel is unity within the church. Are you here? One of the biggest reasons today why there are so many people who are lost and unwilling to walk into churches is because there are 36 churches in a city like Oviedo. I'm just saying. And I don't have an issue with being in different buildings. I mean, obviously, we're in a building ourselves. I don't have an issue with that. And I think that it would be really difficult for us to gather together, you know, 30,000 people that, you know, maybe in Oviedo that are Christians. It may be hard for us to get together. But can I tell you something? There is a, so much division within the church. There is so much division in the body of Christ. When I first became a Christian, I didn't even understand it. When I first became a Christian, people would ask me, well, you know, what are you? And I'm like, I'm a Christian. Now, mind you, I went to an Assemblies of God church, and they were Pentecostal and stuff like that. But they, they were like, well, what, what do you mean? Are you about? I said, I'm not, I'm not none of that. I'm a Christ follower. Like, that's what I am. I, I follow Jesus. I, I'm, I'm not bound to some denomination. Not that I have anything wrong with denomination. I've said this before. If it wasn't for the denominations that we have, we wouldn't see missions the way that we have. And so I appreciate that. The issue is with denominationalism. When the only thing you care about is your little, you know, something, you know, what I like to call it with your little castle mentality instead of kingdom mentality. You're so worried about building your little thing. You're so worried about your little stake in the corner. You're so worried about your building being filled out. You're so worried about your numbers being up. You're so worried about all of that that you could care less about every other person that is called a brother and sister in Christ by your God. That's where the issue comes in. And so what happens is Jesus is praying for unity so that way we will be one, but so that way the world would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he came, that he died, that he rose again, and that he did this for the sins of all humanity, and that anyone who would put their faith in him could know for sure that that same God that brought those people together who didn't know each other from anywhere, that that same God wanted to work in their lives. Jesus prays for a deeper unity, authentic community, transparent relationship that, that, um, that, that are all rooted in the love of God, exemplified in love between the Godhead. Let's keep reading here. And he said, in the glory which you gave me, verse 22, the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So again, he goes back to being us being one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, again, unity, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory with which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So Jesus died 
to redeem us, and I repeat this again next week, not just to himself, but to one another. He died to make us one. He died that we would not just be one, but he even said perfect, complete, that we would be one. This is why Jesus comes. And so he shows us this love that we see in the Godhead. Again, I hope you're getting this. I hope you're seeing the picture. That the love that we're supposed to walk in is not a love that we define by ourselves. It is a love that has already been defined and exemplified by Jesus, the, Jesus the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus' prayer connects with God's eternal plan for his people, lives shared in true love. And here's the deal. We must fight for this type of unity within the local church. Let me say that again. We must fight for this type of unity in the local church. You want to know why? Because the Bible, while it is not anti-culture, it is counter-cultural. And you know what our culture tells us? Our culture tells us we are too busy to really get connected. Our culture tell us, tells us that we have too many things that we're doing to get connected. Can I tell you something? Here, here, here's the truth. The truth is that when there's a will, and this, and this is one of those cliche of statements, when there is a will, there is a way. Right? And I said, that's biblical. It's just, it's just a reality. Listen, you have made stuff happen that seemed impossible. You might have almost got a ticket. You might have almost got into an accident. You might have hurt somebody's feelings. But you have made things happen that were important to you. You have made things happen because you knew that you needed to be there. There was something inside of you that said, man, I have to be there. It's the truth. When we value community the way that God does, we will make a point to be in community with other believers. Number three, say this with me. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers, empowers community, community that is rooted in the gospel. The Holy Spirit empowers community that is rooted in the gospel. And I want to say this. This is one of the quotes that I didn't read. I want you to get this. The number of seats we fill will not determine the legacy of our churches. The depth to which the gospel penetrates those lives will determine our legacy. So there are so many of us, and listen, and I want to reiterate this. Every time I look out there, and I see everyone that is in here, but you know what I see as well? I see every single empty seat. And in my heart of hearts, I want to see those seats filled. Not so I can say, hey, we filled the house. It's because I want us to make gospel impact. I want us to really impact our culture, right? But here's what I want you to know. If none of those seats ever get filled, you know what my prayer is? That the people that fill those seats, which is you, that the gospel penetrates your hearts deeply every week. And that you are more and more conformed to the image and likeness of the God who redeemed you by his blood. That's my prayer, is that you come to understand your identity in Christ. That you come to understand the magnitude of Christ's love. That you come to understand that you were bought at a great price, which we're going to get to in a moment. And that you understand what God did in order to bring you into a relationship with him. That is what matters because you know what? If you and your hearts, if I and my heart are being penetrated by the riches and the depth of the gospel, you want to know what's going to happen? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make impact with the gospel. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to share this same gospel that is impacting my life. Community, I want you to get this. Community is an instrument of worship, a weapon against sin, and a tool for, for evangelism, all for the exaltation of Jesus. The second song that we sang today, it's not about us. That is one of my favorite songs on planet Earth. You know why? Because it is a constant reminder that it is not about us. It is not about you. It's about, I'm just not going to do that. It's not about us. It is about who our God is. And when we get into community with one another, it is, a, it is an instrument of worship. Because we can come together this morning, for those of you that miss prayer time, in, in the midst of prayer, and I always forget, I don't know why on Sunday mornings, on the prayer cards, I don't forget this, but on the, in the Sunday mornings, you know, I ask if you have petitions, but I always forget to ask if you have praise reports. And it was awesome this morning because we were able to rejoice over, I think it was three petitions that, you know, the Lord answered in the positive where, you know, God was doing something, and we were able to rejoice. We were able to just worship God. You know what? We didn't sing a song. We just rejoiced together. We were able to share what God was doing in our lives, and we were able to rejoice in that. But then also community is a weapon against sin. 
You see, when we are in community, see, I can look at you right here, I, I, and, and, this, and this happens. Um, this, ha this, this happens to me, you know, plenty, plenty of times. You know, I look out there, and y'all look cute. Hello, right? Y'all dress nice today, smell good today. Everything looks good. I'm thinking your life is great, but you know what happens? There's some of y'all that are going through some serious stuff. There's some of you that are going through some real hardship in your life. And you know what? If we're not in community, nobody will ever know. But when we're in community, we're able to come together and we're able to confront sin. We're able to deal with things that are plaguing our lives. And not just the sins that we're committing, but also the sins that are being committed against us that are hindering us from being all that God wants us to do. And community is a tool for evangelism. I want you to get that. It's a place where we can come together and we can bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus. The purpose for the community of God's people is bigger than us. I've tried to drive that home. I hope you got it already. It is, it is really about the world seeing the love of God manifested among us and then unto the world. There should be a real love. There should be something that is there. Like when we come together, I'm not talking about fake love. You don't have to fake love. If you love, you love. Hello. If it's real love, it's real love. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out. You can't, you know, I mean, you can try to fabricate it and you can feel that fabricated stuff. Hello. But the truth is that when we are walking together in love, then what happens is people see that. But can I tell you something? If we're never together, how will people ever see us loving each other? Are you here? I love you, but we never hang out. I love you, but we never get together. And this happens. This is true. But the reality is, what we want to do is get together, and that way people can see the love of God, and then we can evangelize and witness to them. The automatic result of the birth of the church in Acts by the Holy Spirit. Now turn back with me to the book of Acts real quick. I want you to look at this, Acts chapter 2. I want us to just look at these things here that we see that, that, that are clear. And I, and I already went through these, but I, I, want, I just want to read this again. because I want us to see this. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And so Peter is doing what? He's evangelizing under the power of the Holy Spirit. The same thing that is communicated here today. I already shared the gospel of, of that we are sinners, that we are separated from God, right? That, that Jesus came to die in our place. And what I'm saying is if you are in here today and you have not made a commitment to Jesus, be saved from this perverse generation. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in Jesus so you don't have to spend an eternity in hell. So that way you can experience the life that God wants you to experience. This is what Peter was calling and it's the same thing that I call you to do today don't wait for tomorrow don't wait till you feel like it listen you may be having a struggle inside of you right now like man I want to give my life to Christ but I don't know listen the, the don't know is the thing you got to fight through and say today is the day that I commit my life to Jesus today is the day that I surrender all that is within me and call upon the one who can save me that's what Peter was doing and then the scripture says something next it says then those who gladly Receive the word, we're baptized. And so if you make a commitment to Christ, the next step is what? That you should be baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, I want you to think about this, what was just said. 3,000 souls were added to them. And then it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so the result of this preaching, of this conversion, is what? That all of a sudden this, I mean, this is, a big, this is, this is bigger right here. This, this 3,000 is bigger than most churches in America. Are you here? Are you hearing me? You know, we see mega churches on TV all the time. We think that that's the norm. That's not the norm. The reality is this was a mega church birthed immediately by the Spirit of the Lord. And you know what they did? Immediately, this church began to do what? They didn't just go split and go do their own thing. They began to dwell in community because of the eternal plan of God. And so look, he preaches, that happens there, verse 43. It says, and fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And here it is, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And so what do we see here? We see that they got together for the, for the collective time together, the worship time together. And then when they left, they did what? They went and ate together. So let me ask you a question. Just think about this for a moment. What are your plans immediately after service? I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. There you go, eat, right? 
Everybody in here, let me, let me, let me see a raise. Show, show me your hands real quick. How many of y'all are not fasting today and you will be eating after service? Raise those hands up. Everybody in this building is going to eat. Now, let me ask you a question. Keep your, you can put your hands down. I'm not going to ask you to raise them again. How many of you are going to eat with somebody that's sitting in this building? I, I told you not to raise your hand. <laughs> but that's all right. At least we got a few, right, that are doing that. Here's the thing. It should be, you know what, Angel and Sonia Santana, I love their heart. And Angel, I, I mean, I, you know, y'all bust Angel's chops, man, but let me tell you something. I never bust Angel's chops. I'm just kidding. I bust Angel's chops. But here's what I want you to get. I love this guy because he has a heart especially for connecting people. More than anyone else that I know, he's always like, man, we got to invite people over. We got to invite people over. We're going to have a leaders meeting. And Sonia's like, hey, if you want us to host, we can host. Listen to me. That should be the heart that you have. And listen, at minimum, at minimum, on Sunday after church, can we just sanctify the day? Hello. Can we just say, God, I want this to be a holy day, and holy means I'm going to bring some holy people, hello, <laughs> up in my house, and we're going to have a good time. Don't be talking about the bishop. Don't be talking about how he preached longer than he should have. Don't be talking. Just pray for him. Amen. Don't be, talking to, don't be talking bad about the worship. Don't be talking bad about the ushers. Don't be criticizing stuff. Pray, amen? But the point of the matter is, when we think about community, you know, and, and now, now let's not just think about Sunday. What about throughout this week? Who are you going to connect with that is in this building? Or are you just going to go about your business for the rest of your whole week and never connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's not biblical. That's not doing life together. That's not sharing in the koinonia that we're supposed to have because of the Trinitarian God that we serve. To see the results we see in Acts, we must come to terms with one fact, and y'all are going to get hit hard with this. This is like the ending right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. And I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to share the point. Or do you not know... That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, listen now, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Here's what I want you to get. The, to see the results we see in Acts, we must come to terms with one fact. I was bought at a price and my life is not my own. If we are going to see this, I have to come to terms with my time is not my time. I have to come to terms with my money is not my money. I have to come to terms with I do not own anything. I am a steward of it all. Listen, you don't own the breath that you're breathing right now. God owns it. And he lends it to you so you can breathe to do what? Everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. He gives us this. So that way we can give him glory. And can I tell you something? You and I will never, hear me when I say this, we will never enter into biblical community. We will never have the marriages God wants us to have. We will never be the parents God wants us to be. We will never be the children God wants us to be. We will never be the collected family of God that God wants us to be until we relinquish our rights and we come to terms with, my life is not my own. Because I'm never going to sacrifice my time. My schedule is going to be primary in my life. My, my, my priorities are going to be primary in my life. Everything else comes second. Can I tell you something? You're a worshiper of yourself. You are an idolater and you need to turn from your idolatry because you are bowing to yourself rather than bowing to Almighty God. That is the reality. The reality is when we live our lives as though we own it and as though it is our life, then we are worshiping ourselves. And listen, you can't worship two gods. It's one or the other. And so today, in the mindset that God wants us to dwell in community, I call you to repentance. If it is all about you, turn from that reality. Don't make it all about you. Make it all about Jesus. And my closing question, and then I have one quote and then we'll wrap up here is what is your level of commitment to the community of believers? What's your level of commitment? Is your commitment like, well, I come on Sundays and I shake some hands and that's about it? Some people, they come on Sundays, they don't even shake hands. They don't even shake my hand. Because they can't wait in the line because the line's too long for them. They got to go. 
Mm-hmm. I know I offended some of you right now, but listen, I just want to shake your hand. I just want to say hello. Maybe give you a hug. God bless you. Amen. I'm just saying, right? Just wait a moment. As you're in line, shake someone else's hand, right? Use it as a great opportunity to get to know other brothers in the church, other sisters in the church. I'm just saying. Don't be inconvenienced, right? I don't want to inconvenience anyone, you know? Now everyone's going to shake my hand today. I appreciate that. <laughs> right? It's going to be... <laughs> But ultimately, what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say, what's your level of commitment? Oh, you know what? I, I'm committed to Sundays, and I hang out a little bit, you know, and, 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 I, and I go to some. If you're a guy, I go to some of the men's stuff. You know, if you're a woman, I go to some of the women's stuff. But that's about it, and that's just some of the stuff if I can make it, if my schedule's open. You know, or maybe you're that person, hey, man, I come to women's stuff. I come to men's stuff. You know, again, not both, one or the other. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in a connect group, and so I'm connected. And can I tell you something? You can do all that stuff and still not really be connected. Did you hear me? You can show up to all of those activities because here's what I want you to get, and I'm going to continue to drive this home. Pastor Chad's going to help me with this. Living life and doing life together cannot be an activity-driven life. It has to become my lifestyle. It has to become your lifestyle. And the reason why I believe this is so important to our purpose as disciples, Bill Clem said this. He said, the world will not recover from the community of God's people living lives to glorify Jesus. If we will live for the glory and for the honor of God, this world will never be the same. But I want you to know, we can't live for the glory and for the honor of God if we're not in community one with the other. Stand to your feet. Let's bow our heads, please. Listen, I really want you to think about this for a moment. If you're in this place and you do not have a relationship with Jesus... I want you to consider where you are with him, and I, re and I really want you to think about how important that decision is. And today, today is the opportunity. You've heard the gospel. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, today is the opportunity. Because you know what? I don't just want you to be in relationship with a bunch of people without being in relationship with Jesus. That is the most important relationship to have. And Jesus died so you could have that relationship, to secure that relationship with you. So if you're in here today and you don't know him, I ask you to call upon him. I ask you to cry out to him from your heart and say, God, save me. Ask him, God, fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk with you from this day forward. Make that commitment to walk with Jesus and let God be the Lord of your life. And if you're a believer in this place today, I really, I really call you to check your heart when it comes to being in community with other believers. I even call you to check your heart when it comes to being united with your own family. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, we, we need you so desperately. And so I pray, Lord God, right now that your power, that your presence, that your spirit would fill my brothers, my sisters in this place. I pray, Lord God, that even as your word has convicted our hearts today, I know that it convicted mine going in and coming out. I sense the weight of that, Lord God. Help us to recognize our lives are not our own. Help us to recognize a great price was paid for us on that cross. Let us live our lives. Let us make our schedules. Let us do the things that we do for your glory in mind, with, with, with the mindset that you paid a price for us. Father, I pray for those in this place that do not know you. I pray that they would call on you today. I pray that you would save them eternally, God, and that you would deliver them from every stronghold, from everything that has held them back up until this point. May they hear your voice and respond to you in faith. Father, I pray that you be glorified in our lives and that you help us to grow in a community that reflects our Trinitarian God. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.